Greetings, all you 99 percenters. This is your host, Dr. Jack Rasmus. This is Alternative Visions. Okay, last week we did a, uh, a review of 2022, uh, U.S. and global economic and political, and as I promised last week, uh, and as I do every year here, uh, today's show will be uh, mostly about predictions of where the U.S. is and the world, uh, economies and politics to some extent, are going here in 2023. Uh I will step out uh, on the plank and uh, take a risk and uh, make some predictions as to where things uh, are most likely going to go here, particularly for the U.S. economically and politically. Uh, okay, so let's just jump in media race, as they say, into the middle and um, go from there. All right. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about recession uh, deepening. Of course, in 2022, there's a lot of debate as to what was and is a recession. Uh, we had uh, the standard definition in the first half of the year, GDP, gross domestic product, contracting. That's usually sufficient to define a recession. Uh, but, uh, you know, the mainstream media and economics profession uh, uh, have been saying, uh, well, you know, it's not really a recession. It's a technical recession. And then, of course, in the second half, uh, we had a, a little bit of a rebound in the economy, very weak rebound, you know, basically two, two and a half percent here in the third quarter. Uh, and then... Um, it looks like eh, something a little bit weaker than that in the fourth quarter. We don't know. We'll see uh, what goes on here when fourth quarter numbers come in. Uh, but uh, the very tepid recovery here of sorts. Uh, but the consensus is that uh, with the rate hikes by the Fed going on pretty rapidly and significantly over the past year, since March of 22, that uh, since monetary rate hikes uh, have a lagged effect uh, that we're going to see in um, the first half of this year, 23, a, a relapse in the economy and, quote, a recession. Uh, a lot of debate as to uh, whether the recession or re-recession, whatever you want to call it, here in the first half of this year is going to be mild, moderate, significant. Uh, no one knows for sure. Uh, some are predicting a soft landing. Others are saying, no, it will be, uh, uh, you know, a, a general recession. No one in the mainstream sees it as a, you know, deep recession. <laughs> and uh, most are predicting uh, it'll be over uh, by the second half of this year and we'll have a recovery. Well, no one knows for sure. And those who are saying that are just guesstimating. Uh, it could be uh, definitely a deeper recession uh, or a mild one. Uh, but in any event, the consensus is uh, the first half of this year there will be a recession, and I uh, have agreed with that. Uh, I believe we've been in a recession uh, throughout 2022, uh, a mild one, uh, but nonetheless a contraction of the economy for various reasons. Most importantly, uh, I believe uh, – that the real GDP is uh, uh, overestimated because inflation adjustments are underestimated. Inflation is actually worse than it gets reported. Uh, and, of course, that um, adjusts uh, nominal GDP to get the real GDP number uh, that, uh, you know, is associated with uh, inflation in, uh, recession, rather. Uh, okay, so that's one reason. Uh, if uh, inflation were more accurate and higher uh, la last year, then uh, uh, the, the, quote, recovery of the second half would be even less, maybe even negative. Uh, and then, of course, the other factor is uh, uh, in 2013, the U.S. redefined GDP and uh, pretty much uh, added $500 billion dollars. Uh, to it uh, by those redefinitions, which are questionable. Uh, so both the inflation adjustment and uh, the redefinition uh, mean that GDP uh, is much lower than it actually gets reported. 
so for that reason, I think the second half of last year uh, was um, really not very significant. Uh, anyway, uh, the Federal Reserve, uh, Chairman Powell, in his uh, December press conference, uh, estimated that um, the growth of the U.S. economy for the full year 2022 uh, will be about one half of one percent. Uh, the Fed will never forecast the contraction, so you know it was pretty, uh, you know, pretty pretty weak uh, economy. Given the fact that uh, you know it started out last year with a significant uh, uh, COVID relief, uh, the last one, uh, you know, that uh, actually came through here um, in 2021. Okay, so uh, you know. Pretty much no growth at best last year. <clears throat> and the Fed is predicting a, a very moderate recession this year. Uh, GDP for all of 23 uh, will be uh, uh, another half of 1% growth rate. Well, you know, the historic growth rate is uh, 2 to 3%. So the U.S. Uh, is not really recovering here. Uh, and and you've got to uh, uh, put it in context. You know, in terms of fiscal and monetary stimulus during 2021, the COVID period, uh, you know, we're talking about 3 to $4 trillion in government fiscal spending and tax cut stimulus. So we're talking about uh, 4 to $5 trillion uh, in uh, uh, Federal Reserve monetary stimulus. So, you know, $8 trillion $8 trillion pumped into the economy in 2021 during COVID. And what did we get? We got a half of 1% growth rate in 2022. I mean, think about it. That's really amazing. And it really tells you that fiscal monetary policy is not working very well and probably won't work very well going forward here. We are in the new era where fiscal monetary stimulus uh, has not had that much effect. And I believe, as I've argued, the converse as well, that contractionary fiscal monetary policy, i.e. raising interest rates and cutting spending, um, will also have a limited effect on slowing uh, the economy. And so, it, you know, it's both in the uh, stimulating the economy and trying to slow the economy, as the Fed is trying to do now, rate hikes, um, is not very efficient anymore. It doesn't work. You've got you've to put in far more <laughs> into the economy to get uh, a, a less of a response than ever before. Okay. Uh, recession will deepen is my forecast here. Uh, it will be uh, worse than a quarter of 1% growth, which isn't really a recession. Um, I think in the first half, we're going to see uh, far more of a contraction than people are forecasting. Uh, we can already see the housing sector, residential housing, at about half, two-thirds of normal here. It's been contracting. Uh, we can see what's happening. It's spilling over into the tech sector. Uh, which is beginning layoffs now, and Amazon, uh, which is really a sort of a indicator of where the goods market is going. If their flow of goods uh, is uh, declining and they're laying off people, which they are, uh, you know, the tech sector and and the goods sector, the manufacturing sector, uh, is also uh, slowing uh, significantly now. Uh, so. At this point, you know, the recession is focused on uh, uh, on housing, tech, and now manufacturing. Uh, the big service sector, which is most of the economy, uh, has not really begun contracting yet. But we will see uh, because uh, consumers and consumer spending, even on services, I think is reaching a limit. Uh, we've seen uh, retail sales adjusted for inflation pretty much flat. Uh, in the fourth quarter this year, uh, and uh, that does not bode well. Most of the uh, spending is being done by uh, debt and credit cards. Credit card growth uh, is, uh, in the fourth quarter, double that 
of uh, previous uh, pre-COVID years. Um, so the consumers are, are, are buying, to the extent they are, uh, on, uh, on credit cards and debt. Um, student debt, of course, will not get relieved. Uh, I think Biden's uh, program is dead on arrival. Uh, won't get passed. Uh, and, of course, the housing and mortgage debt is going up because rates are going up. Uh, and uh, then, of course, uh, wage increases are not really occurring. Uh, maybe at the bottom end, as some states raise minimum wages, and at the top end where shortages, skilled professionals exist. But in the big middle, uh, you don't see a, a really significant wage increases uh, going on that would generate enough income to stimulate consumption uh, and therefore demand. Uh, so, um, you know, my assessment is uh, the spillover from tech and housing to manufacturing goods production slowing uh, will probably continue. And uh, the big question is, will it spill over uh, further uh, to the services sector and service demand and uh, service uh, consumption? Uh, that remains to be seen. Probably has a lot to do with how high inflation will go and uh, how, uh, how stressed uh, with debt levels that consumers will, will become next year. Uh, on the other side, uh, next year, um, you know, GDP will be artificially boosted by government war and defense spending. Uh, so it could offset whatever contraction on the consumer side. Uh, business investment is a big question mark. Uh, the government... Uh, in 2022, passed three big business investment subsidy bills. Uh, the uh, uh, Infrastructure uh, Act at the beginning of the year, the Chip and Semi and Manufacturing Subsidy Act, uh, and uh, at the end, the uh, Inflation Reduction, which is really uh, throwing money at alternative energy and fossil energy, uh, thanks to Joe Manchin. Uh, spending and subsidies. So those three big bills passed last year uh, will start to, in 23, have a little bit of a stimulative effect. They are long-term spending, so not all of it will hit the economy this year, uh, but some will. And uh, that, along with war spending by the government, defense spending, uh, will offset, to some extent, uh, contraction from uh stagnant or even falling retail sales, consumer consumer spending, housing, big ticket items, cars, and so forth. It will uh, offset some of that. Uh, and then, of course, you have uh, what's called net exports or trade, the external uh, contribution uh, to a GDP. <clears throat> and we'll see where that goes. That's been negative. Uh, somewhat over 22, uh, whether that turns positive and also offsets consumption, uh, spending, and uh, business investment that's not related to those three bills uh, remains to be seen. Uh, so it's a mixed picture, uh, and we're kind of at a juncture in terms of U.S. economy and recession. Some positive forces, some negative forces, which will prevail is going to be interesting to see. Uh, but my prediction is that uh, inflation will moderate, just as the recession will be deeper uh, than forecasted by officials. Uh, inflation will moderate. You know, the CPI is now around 7 7.5%. Uh, that will continue to moderate, or what they call disinflation. Uh, in other words, the rate of price increases slows. That's disinflation. Deflation is when prices actually contract. Uh, but we're going to have disinflation. The rate will come down in 2023, I think, uh, uh, to around 4%. Uh, it will not be the Federal Reserve's target of 2%. You're not going to see that for a long time uh, unless there's a massive uh, deep recession here uh, in a la 2008-9. Uh, but we're going to continue to see... Um, uh, price pressures rising here for food, for rent, and some services will stay high. Uh, I think uh, gasoline prices will continue to rise here. 
they've kind of moderated, uh, but they will uh, rise once again once the spring comes and crude prices, and could rise even further if there's an intensification of uh, of the war in Ukraine, which we'll talk about later. Um, So, you know, uh, energy prices will rise. Uh, Natural gas prices, of course, are rising. Uh, the oil companies have simply shifted their supply pressures from uh, uh, gasoline uh, to uh, uh, diesel to some extent and natural gas and home heating oil. Uh, what they uh, give with one, they take back with the other, and then some. Uh, so uh, inflation uh, pressures will remain significant throughout 2023, not as high perhaps as, as 22 Um but we will have chronic uh, around 4% inflation uh, for some time to come. At the same time, we will have more unemployment eventually. That's called stagflation. Uh, so stagflation will be an issue next year. Uh, inflation will come down some, but not all that much, uh, because uh, uh, the Fed can, uh, can shake out prices uh, that are driven by demand, demand-driven inflation, but the Fed uh, can do nothing about supply-side inflation, particularly offshore supply forces that have to do with uh, commodities inflation, uh, U.S. sanctions, uh, disruption of global supply chains. Uh, It could do something, or the government could do something about the price gouging going on by monopolistic corporations. Uh, You know who they are. You know, uh, they were for a while the oil, gasoline uh, uh, companies, and now it's the natural gas and utilities, uh, and it's uh, rents, which the Fed uh, recognizes as significant price increases, but isn't going to do anything about it, they said. Uh, And uh, food prices, where you have monopolistic food processors are driving up prices as well you know, in meatpacking, bakery goods, and so forth. Uh, so food prices, rents, and so forth will stay, uh, certain services will stay um, relatively high uh, into 2023. The Fed will shake out some of that by causing massive unemployment with its rate hikes. But the Fed can do nothing about the supply side uh, problems, which are um, account for more than half of the inflation Uh so notwithstanding all that, we will have some moderation in prices, I predict, but not all, not all that much. And we will have a deeper contraction uh, than is forecast consensus, I predict. Uh, fiscal policy will continue to shift in the U.S. What is that shift? Well, the shift was from, uh, you know, three to four trillion dollars in uh, subsidies and support relief, whatever, uh, during the COVID crisis and shutdowns and contraction, which was uh, from March 2020 uh, through 2021. Uh, That shift uh, from that kind of spending to last year to uh, subsidies of uh, business investment. And that's the three bills that we mentioned. Very clear. They cut off uh, COVID spending uh, and, and subsidies to uh, uh, the populace, uh, and uh, they shifted the money in part to uh, fund these, these three big bills, uh, and uh, they shifted the money uh, to pay for uh, war spending. Uh, last year, the U.S. Uh, roughly uh, provided $111 billion dollars in uh, Ukraine war-related support, some of it direct to Ukraine. Uh, Some of it uh, went, a big part of it went to uh, U.S. war production companies, you know, Raytheon and Lockheed and and Boeing and so forth, uh, to pay for um, uh, the military arms. Uh, Those military arms... uh, in part, some of them went directly to Ukraine. A lot of them uh, uh, went to uh, NATO members in East Europe to backfill uh, after NATO members in East Europe dumped their old Soviet-era stuff on uh, Ukraine. Uh, $111 billion roughly. And now we see uh, an increase of $45 billion, uh, to Ukraine, which is just about the increase 
uh, in the uh, uh, Pentagon budget envisioned for this year, which is $853 billion going just to the Pentagon, right? Uh, And that's even before uh, Congress uh, ups that. Uh, I think they will up it at least to $875 billion. They always do that. Uh, always uh, increase uh, subsidies to uh, the defense war industries more than the uh, administration uh, request. So, uh, you know, Biden's budget is $853 billion. Congress will raise that to 875 roughly, I think. Um, but that is only Pentagon. Pentagon is not all the defense spending. As I've said many times here, you know, uh, uh, the way the U.S. works, it uh, has a lot of other uh, budget cubbyholes where war spending actually goes on as well. Uh, And that, uh, you know, includes uh, the Energy Department, uh, which funds all of the military's uh, oil. Uh, purchases and you know U.S. military is the biggest single purchaser of fossil fuels in the world, um, and uh, uh, the Atomic Energy uh, Commission, where um, you know the nuclear development occurs, new, new nuclear arm development occurs. Uh, you've got the the CIA and the NSA uh, funding of the, their private mercenary armies. Uh, you've got Homeland Security, which is part of that as well. Uh, you've got the recent uh, veterans benefits. Um, Congress passed the generous, generous $400 billion over 10 years of uh, increase in uh, spending on veterans. Um, and uh, then there's this off-budget uh, secret weapons program developments that never show up in the printed matter of the U.S. budget, which always uh, you know, is about 50 to $75 billion a year. And then the increased interest on the debt for war spending share. Uh, you know, you're looking at maybe $1.2 trillion here, not the $853 billion for just the Pentagon. Uh, the larger figure is really what's spent on war and defense. And uh, so that means you got about $1.2 trillion of the total U.S. budget of $1.75 trillion. So about two-thirds the U.S. is spending annually on war. I'm going to let that sink in a little bit, right? Two-thirds of the budget is war spending. A lot of the so-called discretionary non-defense spending, non-Pentagon spending, is actually defense war spending of various kinds. Uh, how long can the, U- you know, the U.S. continue spending two-thirds of its budget annually on war and defense uh, well, that's an interesting question. We'll we'll see, but uh, uh, you know, it's it's significant, right? Uh, I I suspect uh, that in addition to the forty five billion in the budget for Ukraine, there'll be at least another hundred billion um, over time spent. Uh, a lot of this uh, war spending, by the way, was uh, COVID relief money that had not been spent that got redirected to the Ukraine war last year. Uh, where where they get it from this year remains to be seen. So uh, fiscal policy, will, the shift will continue to um, uh, defense and more spending and corporate subsidies for investment. Um, uh, monetary policy, okay, the Federal Reserve. Let's look at that. The Federal Reserve uh, last year raised interest rates. It's a target benchmark rate called the Federal Funds Rate. A short-term rate uh, from March of last year through uh, 2022 raised it uh, close to 5% um, in a series of uh, very significant rapid increases of three-fourths of 1%. Um, and, of course, the federal funds rate uh, pushes up all other interest rates, so general rates continue to rise. Uh, and it has an impact on the economy with uh, probably closer to a nine-month lag, which we're beginning to, to see now. At the same time, the Fed has been selling off its balance sheet. What is that? That's the amount of money it threw at uh, banks and investors and incurred a debt called its balance sheet uh, over the years. Uh, it threw about $4 trillion uh 
you know, uh, during during the 2008-10 crisis and thereafter continued with its zero interest rates policy and its quantitative easing policies. Uh, so it had accumulated $4 trillion debt that was unpaid uh, going into COVID. And it raised another almost $5 trillion in that debt uh, by giving even more subsidies and more free money and more loans and so forth uh, to uh, banks and and uh, uh, you know non-bank corporations in some cases and investors. So the Fed ran up a $9 trillion debt over the past decade. And Congress, of course, its national debt uh, is now about $28 trillion. Uh, You know, 20 years ago when it all started, uh, 20 years ago, I mean, like 2000, 2001, the total total national debt was about $4 trillion. Uh, It had taken 20 years from 80, 1980 to 2000 uh, to go from around $1 trillion to $4 trillion. Uh, but in uh, the next 20 years, uh, it's gone from $4 trillion to about $28 trillion. But that's just the national debt. You know, that's what Congress uh, creates by running deficits every year. Uh, you've got to add the Federal Reserve debt to that. And, of course, state and local debt is, is additional as well. Uh, I don't have the numbers for state and local debt, but it, too, has risen. But the Fed the debt uh, rose uh, in, from less than $1 trillion in 2007 to almost $9 trillion in 10 years. So uh, the government is running on massive mountains of debt, uh, just as consumers are running on debt, and private business corporations are running on debt as well. You know, massive increase in corporate debt. Uh, just as household debt has uh, uh, accelerated as well. The whole system, the capitalist system in the 21st century, the empire here, the U.S., uh, is uh, uh, sitting on a mountain of debt. Now, debt itself is not the great problem. The problem is uh, uh, servicing that debt, in other words, paying principal and interest. And it gets hard to do that when you have recessions. Uh, and that's the big problem. Can you pay principal and interest? If you can't, then you default, and uh, uh, default uh, leads to bankruptcies if you don't uh, sell off the debt somehow. Okay, so uh, monetary policy. You know, the Federal Reserve has this debt of $9 trillion, or just less than that. Sell it off. In other words, uh, uh, get rid of the debt by selling it uh, to private investors. And by uh, what's called, uh, you know, it's bond buying programs, um, uh, and that, uh, to the extent that it, it gets rid of that debt, that also pushes up interest rates. Uh, the federal policy of uh, raising the federal funds rate is a short-term rate hike, uh, meaning uh, interest rates, uh, uh, bills and notes, and so forth, uh, less than five years. Uh, that pushes up the short-term rates. Uh, but selling off its uh, debt uh, pushes up long-term rates, in other words, 10- and 20-, 30-year bond, bond rates as well. Uh, both of those are going on at the same time, putting pressure on rising rates not only at the short end but the long end, which slows the economy. Right. Now, uh, I believe the Fed, and my prediction is the Fed will continue raising rates into 23. Uh, it will do so. Uh, until uh, you know, sometime in the early spring, and then it will halt, and we'll wait to see what the effects are. Because remember, it has a has a lag, uh, and it will uh, keep rates high. It won't start lowering rates in 2023. It will keep them high, uh, putting pressure on on the uh, real economy here to slow down for uh, as the Fed wants to see layoffs and therefore uh, wages uh, reduce. Right. Uh, Now, as I've said before, uh, raising rates causes the U.S. dollar, which is the global currency, to rise, to appreciate in value. And because it's the global currency and, uh, you know, because nearly all global commodities, be they oil and gas or agriculture or metals or whatever, uh, are traded only in dollars, mostly in dollars, uh, that means that 
as the U.S. dollar rises because interest rates rise, uh, other currencies, which are pegged to the dollar in the world, uh, will devalue. That devaluation will mean that the cost of their import, the price of their imports rises. So uh, import inflation rises for the rest of the world. Conversely, import inflation declines. Import goods inflation declines for the U.S. as the dollar appreciates. But as other currencies collapse, uh, their inflation rises. So in that sense, the U.S. Uh, exports inflation to the rest of the world by raising interest rates that drive up the dollar. Yeah. You can do that when you're the imperial power, you see, and the currency is the dollar, your currency. Uh, you control, manipulate uh, uh, the fate of the economies of the rest of the world to the extent that they're tied in and they use the dollar, which you've got to use to buy all these commodities, agriculture, metal, and, and so forth. Uh, well, you know, that's the linchpin of the global U.S. economic empire, the dollar. Right? And we've talked about that before. Uh, well, if monetary rates by the Fed are going to continue rising, well, that will mean continued pressure on the appreciation of the dollar and the collapse of other currencies. Now, this intensified, this, this inflation devaluation uh, of currencies, whether they be the euro or the British pound or the Japanese yen, uh, all deflated devalued significantly in 2022. Now, that moderated a little bit at the end of the year of 22, as it became clear that the Fed was gonna, going to slow its rate of increases of interest rates, right? Uh, so that kind of gave a signal, well, the dollar may not appreciate as fast and as much as it had earlier in 22, and it stopped appreciating as fast. Uh, and therefore, currencies... Uh, and the rest of the world uh, stabilized a little bit. But I think as the Fed will continue in 23 to raise rates, uh, we will have renewed pressure on other currencies to devalue. Uh, that will mean more inflation. Uh, you know, last year the uh, euro deflated, devalued about 20%. The pound, British pound, the same. The yen, about the same. Uh, that's moderated a little bit. Uh, but my prediction is uh, that you're going to have more of that occurring and the euro uh, will continue to devalue uh, towards parity with the dollar, a dollar euro, a, a dollar for, for one euro, uh, one to one. It's a little bit above that now. Uh, it was below that. The, the euro for a while was worth less than the dollar. Uh, the British pound, the same thing happened to it. It recovered a little bit, uh, but uh, Britain is an economic basket case, and I think the pound is going to significantly devalue once again in uh, 2023. Uh, Japan is a kind of a special case. The Japanese have uh, resisted raising their interest rates following the Federal Reserve rate hikes, uh, and that, of course, significantly depressed their currency, uh, but they look to be weakening in that resolve. And uh, as a result, you know, the, the yen is uh, recovering a little bit, uh, but it's not clear where Japan's going to be going with that. So monetary policy, you know, in summary, uh, the Fed will continue raising rates. Other countries uh, Euro and Europe and so forth will have to continue raising their rates. They will. Uh, if they don't, their currency is going to uh, recollapse. Uh, but that's what we're going to see. Now, uh, it's, it's important to know that there's another effect from this Fed policy and rate hikes, uh, and that is, uh, of course, rate hikes in, increase the cost of financing debt. And we talked about that debt problem. Uh, and um, for general businesses, uh, as well as for, for households, right? Uh, if interest rates continue to rise, and particularly if they rise above the Fed likely terminal highest, in other words, terminal rate of around five, five and a quarter, if they raise 
more than five and a quarter, significantly say six, six and a half, uh, you're going to see uh, financial instability. Uh, in other words, corporations that are weak uh, aren't able to uh, refinance and pay their interest cost here when it's that high, when the costs are 6%, 7%, whatever. Uh, they can't get the refinancing or uh, they don't have the, uh, the revenue from other activities to pay the interest or maybe even the principal uh, on that debt. Uh, and uh, if they can't, then they default. Default simply means uh, uh, they stop paying the principal and or interest on the debt. Uh, then uh, uh, the next step is possible bankruptcy. Uh, and bankruptcy, if it's widespread, uh, has a knock-on effect of uh, forcing assets uh, to uh, collapse, devalue in prices, big risk. Well, uh, what does that look like for financial markets if the uh, Fed continues raising, raising rates? You know, well beyond five and a quarter percent, <clears throat> which I've always said was kind of like a threshold, and apparently uh, uh, the Fed believes so too, because it's going to stop at about that and wait and see what happens. But if it goes further, uh, then uh, uh, you're going to see a significant re-correction uh, in uh, the stock markets, particularly uh, the Nasdaq, which is tech tech-heavy, and the S&P 500, uh, less so into Dow. So uh, financial market contraction, I predict, uh, will continue here, at least for the NASDAQ and S&P, uh, into the first half of the year. Uh, we see this pressure building uh, on other sec financial markets as well. We see the collapse of the cryptocurrency market, uh, which is continuing continuing to spread with a contagion effect here throughout that sector and soon perhaps spilling over contagion-wise to other sectors. Uh, other candidates for um, financial instability if rates continue to rise uh, are the uh, uh, collateralized loan obligations uh, market, uh, real estate investment trusts, what's called SPACs, uh, SPAC acronym there for Special Purchase Acquisition Corporations, uh, high-yield bonds in certain industries, dollarized bonds in Latin America, China property markets, and Europe banks. These are all weak areas, uh, financial market areas, and uh, rate hikes, should they continue, will intensify uh, the instability in those particular markets. So we need to watch uh, financial fragility, in other words, uh, inability to pay uh, principal and interest, that's fragility, and uh, that's typically followed by instability, uh, crash of, of the values in these financial assets. Um, so my, I don't know if I have a prediction with regard to that. If interest rates go over 5.5% significantly, then yes, we will see more, more of these problems in these particular market sectors. We can already see it in, in Europe banks here, Credit Suisse in trouble, selling off its assets, Standard Charter, another trillion-dollar Europe. UK bank in trouble being bought up by Middle East uh, wealthy uh, uh, countries. Uh, buying up the European bank banking sector, uh, re re reverse imperialism here, financial going on. Um, so uh, I guess my forecast is if there's a significant increase over that, we'll see more financial instability in 2023. Uh, that will go along with a deeper recession and uh, a disinflation and this fiscal policy, the shift that I talked about, and uh, monetary policy rate hikes, which will continue. Uh, it all depends uh, by the early summer of next year um, whether the Fed uh, continues to uh, increase rates, uh, interest rates, or whether it uh, sort of holds for the rest of the year. Uh, if inflation continues, then it will resume rate hikes 
Okay, so that's the, 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 those are the main uh, predictions I have for uh, 2023 for the U.S. What about U.S. politics? Uh, well, my prediction is that uh, uh, the proxy war in U.K. will continue throughout the year and will intensify. Uh, we're going to see a major offensive uh, by both sides here uh, uh, before the spring, I think. Russia will will launch its offensive. So will Ukraine. And uh, we'll see which offensive prevails. Whichever one does prevail um, will determine the outcome of the Ukraine war. I think the, the Ukraine war will, will uh, have a resolution sometime in 2023, uh, either on terms favoring the Russian or on terms favoring the uh, Ukrainians, which is really uh, U.S.-NATO. Uh, it's a U.S.-NATO war uh, with Russia. It's, it's, it's a proxy war. Okay. Uh, so that will intensify, meaning the U.S., as I've said, will increase its spending uh, and uh, sanctions uh, will will tighten and uh, increase, which will further disrupt global trade uh, as the U.S. G7 sanctions on Russia intensify. Uh, ultimately, it's going to bifurcate the global uh, economy in terms of uh, goods, goods flows and money flows. Uh, what we see is, uh, in relation to the Ukraine situation, that Germany is rapidly increasing its military spending. It's doubling it, and uh, that will occur generally in, in the EU uh, in particular. And Japan has been given the green light and plans to remilitarize. Uh, it has plans for record war spending as well. Uh, so the uh, empire and its main allies are uh, getting ready for bigger conflicts here and beefing up their military, which is already um, significantly uh, high here. But the allies now, the U.S. empire allies, are now uh, uh, joining suit and in increasing uh, their spending. Uh, what Trump could not do by berating and uh, uh, threatening uh, the Europeans and the Japanese uh, to raise their war spending, uh, Biden has been able to do by precipitating these conflicts, uh, you know, with Russia, uh, which gets Europe to increase their spending, and uh, with Taiwan uh, and China, which gets uh, Japan to increase their spending. Uh, similarly, you know, uh, Trump's uh, trade war uh, with, uh, with China uh, through through the means of tariffs, using tariffs, it turned out to be a, a big flop. He could not achieve what he wanted, uh, which was to uh, slow down China's next-generation technology development, as I've written extensively about in my books and articles, uh, that, uh, that uh, offensive, that trade-based, uh, tariff-based offensive uh, to check China next-gen technology, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, uh, cloud computing, G5, whatever, 5G, uh, all of that, uh, which has all military uh, implications, uh, began in March of 2018. Uh, by the time Trump left, it, it had totally failed. But now the Biden administration has taken a total new approach to that uh, and is uh, simply um, blocking and boycotting blockading uh, China uh, tech development, throwing Chinese companies out of uh, uh, the West, uh, preventing them from access to equity markets and, and a whole, whole number of measures. Uh, and you got to see this provocation over Taiwan that occurred here uh, last year as part of that whole technology thing. And by the way, uh, the whole chip and manufacturing subsidy act, 280 billion, is is also tied into this uh, tech trade war with China, uh, because it provides big subsidies for U.S. and Taiwanese companies to relocate their production to North America. All right, it's a big bribe uh, to a large extent. Um, 
the provocations of the U.S. Uh, over Taiwan with China will continue in 23. The U.S. is uh, probing and uh, China seeing how far it will go and provoking, trying to provoke them to see how far it will go um, as it prepares for a conflict with China, uh, similar to its conflict with, uh, with Russia, because both China and Russia are the big challengers to uh, the U.S. global economic empire. And the U.S. is becoming more aggressive and violent um, in anticipation of that uh, checking that uh, that challenge here. That's why I pulled out of Afghanistan and the Middle East. You know, it reoriented here the empire uh, to the the real threats to its existence. Plus, you know, the the whole entry into uh, the Middle East and the wars in the Middle East of decades ago started here it was to ensure oil. Uh, but in the meantime. Um, uh, the U.S. developed new technologies, fracking, and the U.S. is now self-sufficient in uh, uh, oil. It does not need Middle East oil. Uh, so another reason why it pulled out of the Middle East conflicts, it left a mess, of course, uh, and, uh, you know, some force is still there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it reoriented towards uh, China and, uh, and, uh, and Russia. It's real challenges. Uh, so uh, tensions and uh, U.S. provocations over Taiwan will continue in 23, just as the proxy war will with Russia and over Ukraine will, will intensify as well. And the chip trade war, tech trade war with China will continue. Uh, domestically, uh, it looks like, uh, you know, what's going on after the midterm elections here is very interesting. Uh the uh, charade and, and the clown show going on in the U.S. House of Representatives is very interesting. Uh, the Republicans, uh, McCarthy, can't even get himself elected uh, to chair his party here uh, because you've got about 20 radical right uh, members of, of, uh, of the Republican House uh, majority here. Um, I think it's called the Freedom Caucus, whatever, uh, are pretty much uh, uh, forcing McCarthy to make concessions that increase their power to veto and determine policy in the Republican Party in the House. Uh, not much is being said of it, but, uh, you know, McCarthy has, has had 11 votes and can't get elected by his own party uh, because this... Uh, this group of radical rightists, uh, you know, Getz and uh, Green and Bobert and others, uh, simply want the ability to veto any of his decisions. One of their demands is that uh, any one of them uh, can force a recall vote of, uh, of uh, McCarthy as speaker if they don't like what he's doing. Just one. One person can get rid of the Speaker of the House. That's their demand. And, of course, other Republicans don't want him to do that, and that's why they can't get a vote passed, because they only have a, a five-vote uh, five majority, uh, swing votes there in the House, the Republicans, uh, and there's 20 of the uh, uh, anti-McCarthy, radical right group. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're pretty much uh, running the show or want to run the show, and that's why you get this... Uh, silly thing going on here with the Republicans. They're looking bad uh, and Democrats are sitting back and just enjoying it. Uh, although there is some pressure for the Democrats to, to help McCarthy get elected. We'll see where that goes. Um, you know, this U.S. House under the Republicans, however it turns out, will, will be primarily preoccupied uh, with uh, uh, launching hearings uh, uh against uh, Biden and the Democrats here, just as, uh, you know, a, a tit for tat for the January 6th hearings, which have gone nowhere, really. Um, hearings about, uh, you know, uh, uh, Biden's laptop, you know, relations with China and Ukraine, uh, COVID, the origins of COVID here in China, immigration and so forth. Uh, so we're going to have a real sideshow continuing in Congress going forward here um, domestically. Uh, turning more globally uh, in Europe, the recession will deepen. 
Uh, we just had uh, statistics there about a real collapse of uh, German manufacturing going on. Inflation, like in the U.S., will moderate a little bit, I predict, from 10 14 percent right now to more like 7 to 10 percent. Uh, the uh, European Central Bank will follow the Fed with even more rate hikes coming. They'll slow the economy. Uh, money left over from COVID relief and then spent uh, will be redirected now to subsidies uh, for energy costs. Uh, war spending, as I said, will increase across uh, Europe. Uh, the currency, uh, the euro, uh, recovered a little bit, but I believe will fall again uh, later in the year. And uh, Europe's cost long-term of uh, energy uh, uh, by the end of the year will be at least double of what it was as the U.S. buys from uh, uh, as Europe buys from the U.S. the Middle East and North Africa at a higher cost. Britain will be the basket case in Europe. Uh, its inflation uh, will continue to rise here uh, or continue high. Uh, and uh, you got strikes brewing now, and I think uh, the economy will weaken to the point that the Bank of England, the central bank, will be forced uh, to stop its rate hikes following the Fed. And when that happens, the currency will collapse again, I believe. Uh, and I predict toward parity with the U.S. dollar. But political instability, maybe even a uh, uh, confidence vote uh, there in Parliament. Uh, uh, might occur, and you'll see Scotland vote again, uh, plan to vote again, or actually vote again uh, to leave uh, Britain, the UK. Okay, uh, and then we have financial instability, uh, particularly in the Euro banks, uh, UK banks here, uh, with China. As I said, the tech war uh, with the US will intensify. Uh, China reopening post-COVID, you know, a lot has been made about this, that it will boost the global economy here uh, once it reopens and China business reopens. uh, Well, they're overlooking the negative effects, I think, of um, uh, massive infections and deaths that will occur now in China with uh, this reopening. I don't see the economic effect uh, as that great Uh, are great enough for China to offset uh, the global recession uh, toward which uh, most of the world is is drifting steadily right now and will continue, okay? Uh, China will provide, is providing more to its unstable, fragile uh, property sector here to prevent a crash, financial crash, I believe they'll be able to contain it. Um, And the Taiwan crisis will continue as the U.S. continues to probe. In Japan, uh, the Bank of Japan uh, has been reluctant to follow Fed rate hikes and will continue uh, to be reluctant. That will mean its currency will uh, resume contracting here. Uh, Japan military spending will be sharply up, as I've said here. And Japan will, like the U.S., try to get its businesses that had relocated to the China-Asian mainland to relocate uh, onshore back to Japan. In Latin America, we see a a lot of uh, political instability in the Andean area there with Ecuador and Peru in in particular. Uh, Where that's going can be very significant. It's very deep political uh, instability here. Uh, U.S. has uh, has kind of uh, unofficially signaled a truce in terms of its sanctions over Venezuela as it needs Venezuela to ship oil to uh, Europe here. Uh, Brazil, Lula has taken over uh, once again, but uh, don't expect his policies to be as radical as before. He will be very cautious uh, and uh, very cooperative with Western uh, financial interests here. Uh, inflation and currency collapse will continue, particularly in, in economies like Argentina. Uh, Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, uh, interesting, we see Prince bin Salman uh, uh, shift uh, towards China and the, the Shanghai group. That's China's answer uh, to uh, you know, the West and more countries will join the China Shanghai group. Iran has uh, talked by uh, some Latin American countries uh, doing it and even Indonesia. So uh, we'll see where that goes. Um, 
Russia and Turkey seem to be reaching an accommodation in Syria, but Israel will intensify its attacks in Syria and on the Palestinians. Uh, Of course, Iran is forging a military uh, relationship with with Russia, and we can see some kind of Iran, uh, anti-Iran, U.S.-Israel, Saudi, offensive uh, emerging. And finally, uh, last uh, commentary on the Ukraine war here. Uh, Russia's uh, special military operation has proved a failure. Uh, they'll keep the, the reference, but uh, uh, you know the, the new offensive will, will not be the minimalist SMO. Uh, we can see that already beginning to happen. Uh, as I said, who prevails in the war in Ukraine, which I think one side or the other will prevail before the end of the year, um, will determine uh, uh, you know, whose offensive is, is uh, victorious here. If Russia fails, the uh, question is, will Putin fall? Um, who knows? Uh, uh, but if Putin does, Lukashenko and Belarus certainly will. If Ukraine fails, will the U.S. remove Zelensky? Uh, that's another question. Depends on whose offensive wins. This is going to be the big, uh, big issue in the war. You know, the new offensives moving to even more intense, uh, massive uh, conflicts here in Ukraine. Right? Uh, in the U.S. Uh, We'll continue to try to destabilize uh, on Russia's flank in the east, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and so forth. Right? Uh, the U.S. and uh, NATO have had uh, significant gains, significant gains from this war. You know, last January I wrote a piece entitled, you can get it on my blog, jackrasmus.com, uh, entitled 10 Reasons Why the U.S. May Want Russia to Invade Ukraine. Uh, and uh, it had a lot to gain by provoking Russia into invading Ukraine, and it steadily uh, uh, intensified that provocation throughout the end of 2021 after the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan um, the fall and winter of 2021. Uh, it was clear the U.S. wanted Russia to invade <clears throat> because it had a lot to gain from that invasion, uh, and it has gained significantly from that invasion has gained more than Russia has gained by the invading. Uh, I'm not talking just about military. I'm talking about economic um, and so forth. Well, uh, at the end of this month, I will write a review of those predictions and um, pretty much, uh, you know, uh, analyze to what extent uh, the U.S. and NATO have gained from the Ukraine war, from the proxy war. uh, I will also post on my blog, jackrasmus.com, uh, a presentation I've been writing for a conference I'm to attend here. Uh, and uh, pretty much uh, the, the, the title of that would be global, The Global Capitalist Economy at the Crossroads here, uh, looking at long-term trends that have occurred under neoliberalism uh, that are impacting the present economic situation and uh, also then making some predictions of where uh, the global capitalist economy will be headed, some of which I've uh, sort of talked about here in the predictions I've given uh, today. Uh, well, that's pretty much, uh, you know, my overview, uh, my predictions for 2021. Just to briefly and quickly recap, uh, you know, in the U.S. here, ec- economically, inflation will will moderate some, but will remain high. Uh, recession will be deeper than they are protecting, predicting. Uh, fiscal policy uh, shift to war and defense spending and business subsidies will continue. Uh, the Fed will continue its uh, interest rate hikes, but at a slower pace, and then uh, stop and watch what happens. Uh, if it uh, continues, uh, I predict financial fragility examples will grow. Uh, politically, uh, the proxy war will intensify in Ukraine. The U.S. will continue provoking uh, uh, and probing China over Taiwan uh, and intensifying its tech trade war with China. And uh, uh, the uh, clown show in Congress uh, will get even more interesting. Uh, and, of course, in Europe, a recession will deepen. Rate hikes will con- continue following the U.S. 
war spending will grow, currency instability will increase, uh, Britain, the basket case, will, will get worse. Uh, and in China, uh, the trade war will te- uh, intensify with the U.S., uh, the post-COVID economic opening uh, will not be as uh, stimulative uh, to uh, uh, its uh, economy and the global economy, uh, and that the Taiwan crisis uh, will will continue to fester. Uh, Japan will uh, militarize, uh, uh, will follow U.S. rate hikes more, more carefully. Uh, its currency will weaken. In Latin America, watch what's happened in the Andean countries here with political instability rising and uh, with uh, currency uh, problems and debt problems in Argentina and elsewhere. And in Saudi Arabia, its attempt to uh, reorient uh, towards uh, uh, China and the Shanghai group will be interesting uh, in accommodations between uh, Russia, Turkey and Syria and the new offensive against Iran here. Watch that uh, may materialize out of the out of this year, and then of course we talked about the Ukraine war, which was number one a geopolitical development, and I forecast intense offensives coming on both sides, and uh, one way or another that whoever prevails in those new offensives. Uh, will define uh, what happens uh, in Ukraine and who, who quote, wins, right? (laughs) In the meantime, the U.S. will will gain no matter what from this proxy war. Okay, uh, that's it for my predictions for 23. And uh, we'll see where that goes. And uh, uh, I'm out of here.